Howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Melson IV. Today I'm talking with musician Palo Roy Henderson. Palo's a drummer, guitarist, bassist, and you know, a great dude. We're talking about growing up as a Henderson, how COVID-19 is affecting the music scene, and other topics. Enjoy. First question is, how's California looking to miss the COVID-19? Well, uh, we're adapting. Um... Everything you could possibly think is happening. You got companies or smaller businesses that are uh, closing up shop, um, filing for bankruptcy and selling shit, and that's it. You have others that are thriving because they have a good remote element and they have their popularity. You have others that are having to do rebranding. A lot of restaurants are doing only pickup delivery. Um, and then you have some that are social distancing. Not everyone's following directions, of course, but. For the most part, it seems pretty cool out here. I know in smaller communities, it's kind of hard. Like, uh, I know Orange County hasn't been doing as well. Like, they're mostly red states, you know, it's whatever. Um, but L.A., it depends. It's, it's weird, you know, because, like, we got cut for our COVID funding two weeks ago. And for those of us who don't either have money to save, money saved, like most of us, or whatever have you, it's been kind of hard. But, um Luckily, we've all been able to make do. Um, yeah, I, I personally have been live streaming. I do this thing called Electrosexual on Saturdays. I've recently stopped because um, I've been doing a lot of stuff as far as moving around and getting new stuff set up. I looked at a few properties for shooting uh, some live videos. So I've been really busy, but um, I'm going to start probably doing it next month. Definitely want to do something for Halloween. I want to do some electrosexual live streaming. Uh, and when I'm not doing that, um, because everyone, I usually do like all types of stuff. I do weddings, I do bar mitzvahs, I do house parties, I do clubs, I do events. Um, but right now, what I've been doing is taking deposits for weddings for next year. And that's kind of been helping me along with uh, financial aid and everything else. I don't financially um, EDD and um, COVID. But, um, it's a little rough, you know. It's weird as a musician to just be sitting around. Like, I'm always doing shit. Like, I never, I'm never not working. I'm always working on music. But it's just weird. Like, I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have anywhere to be. Like, since I was 10. So, for 25 years, it's always been this. And since February, it's been this. And it's like, you know, which is kind of cool, because, like, uh, first two months, we got real lazy. We ate, like, the best food we could fucking get. Um, I drank all the booze. Me and my girl just would go to this little booze place down the street from our spot and um, just try different, different booze every week, <laughs> you know? Like, I passed out. She's passed out. I passed out in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of rock star tradition as part of the job. It's right. like, it's a part of it. Like, okay. We're at home watching, like, TV dramas, okay? And then I'm just throwing back triple pale ales. And then I remember waking up in bed, and she goes, did you throw up? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you were in the bathroom, hunched over, and the trash can was out front. I was like, no shit. I don't think I did, because my throat wasn't wrong. Because I have been in the past so drunk that I wasn't sure if I threw up, but... Usually you can feel it like here if you did, but 
No, I've been yakking years. There's a term that you've used in the past with me, and I've seen you post it a lot. Explain to me what a blue-collar musician is. Ah, yes. So, um, I developed it just because, like, growing up with my father and who he was, um, I realized we were not the same. <laughs> and when I was younger, it kind of sucks, like, you want to be like your dad. But then I get older and realize, like, oh, no, we're just we're on different fucking levels completely. Um, he's more traditional, and he's more classically trained, and went to school, went to Berkeley, and yada, yada. And, you know, like, he's he's proper. You know, he, he always was. As country as he was, that's just who he was. I'm a dude. Like, I'm just loud, or, or if we got to do quiet stuff, I'm all over the fucking place. And I think I'm more of an entertainer. <clears throat> to the musician, but how I do how I differentiate us is like my father was working with labels and artists who were big or conglomerates and companies. I personally was like the, my first big gig. I put an, I saw an ad on a fucking LA Weekly and applied, and that was it. That's how I got paid. So that's blue collar shit, you know. Like I get word of mouth or Craigslist or. I'm a bunch of music groups are looking for musicians, or what happens often is just because I've done so much stuff, uh, I have friends who will just tell other people to call me, because they know, like, yeah, if your friend's cool, give my number. I don't care about giving my number out. Like, I'm nobody. I'm just a dude. But um, as long as they're cool, you know, but that's that's why I get work. Sometimes it's really big, like an artist who signed and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it's a dive bar, you know, it's all over the place. That's so like blue collar. I'm fortunate that I don't have to work as well because I have tons of friends who have to have a regular nine to five and that, and that's like hard. And I did that for a long time. Like this, the past two or three years, I've had the most freedom because I haven't had to bend in a bunch of bands to uh, make revenue. You know, like ten years ago, I was in three or four bands and side hustling, and I like slept for four hours a day, and it got so bad that people that I work with are like, hey, man, like they ask me, like, are you on drugs? I'm like, no, I just haven't slept. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Reminds me of old Frank Zappa quote from uh, Circus Cromer, We Don't Mess Around. And it was, it was Frank Zappa who's at, um, at an airport, and some guy asked him, so what are you on? And Frank said, I'm on duty. That's what reminds me of work <laughs> ethic. Like, I'm on, hey, I'm on it, homie. I'm, I'm on duty. You know. Oh yeah. All right, because I remember you, you also mentioned that you scored a film, right? You scored a film one time, right? I scored two films. Um, the first one I got to score was with my brother, one of his uh, acquaintances, and um, it was really exciting because I remember, like, my brother bought some cheap some champagne, cheap champagne. And we both celebrated, hugged and shit, and even danced around. We're just like, oh my god, because we've never, no one let us do this. Like, we've been dope for a long time. I was like 22, 21. But I was like, yeah, like, no one, no one lets us do this. You know, we've been trying for years. Like, hey, we're dope, and no one gives a fuck because they have their own people. But we got the gig, and we started scoring it. And I think it was about four months of, um, 
doing it. We got really into it. We really did. Um, we we studied because he wants like an old eighties feel, and that's what my brother called me. He's like, dude, my little brother Paulo loves eighties shit like hardcore. He can replicate all the sounds. He has like all these generators that sound like Lindrum and old school shit. Like he's got that shit down. So my brother did more of the arrangement. <clears throat> I did more of the soundscape. Um, but the premiere was so funny because I was so high. <laughs> Life was crazy. I was in the middle of breaking out with my ex, and she showed up to the event, and that was weird. There's actually video footage of me showing up, and you can kind of see my face because I, I didn't notice that my ex would be there. So I'm just like, oh, because I invited her before we broke up, like, because we got told, like, eight months in advance where the premiere was going to be and shit before we were even done doing the music. So when we broke up, she was like, come on, like, let's just be friends. I was like, mm, do we need to be? You know, but, yeah, you see one of my friends, uh, Brad, interviewing me as I come up the stairs, and you see my ex behind me, and this is weird. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like this. My fish is like, oh, yeah, hey, man. Because I'm just like, I can't believe this bitch is here. I told her not to be. Then she started start shit after that. She tried to, like, get in a fight with my manager, who's also a woman. Just because she's a woman, she assumed, like, this is my new thing. I was like, no. This is my manager. She's civilian or industry? Oh, my ex? Oddly enough, none of my exes... I'm in the industry. I had an ex-girlfriend once, like when I was like 18. She was a print model for like Teen Magazine and shit. She's from Malibu. And um, yeah, that was cool. But other than that, like, I haven't had any. Everyone else has been civilian. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's cool. You know, I don't mind if someone's doing more than I'm doing. Like, it's whatever. You know, because like it's scary with civilian. You know, because. Some, there's a lot of things as, as musicians do that uh, regular people or average people are like, what the fuck? Like, we're weird. We sleep in weird time patterns. Uh, we like certain noises that some people may not like. Uh, we're just oddly free about shit, you know? When you're really free, it scares people. It just does. Like, not wild, because some people confuse that. Like, being wild and being free are two different things. Wild and get your ass in trouble. Being free is more of a, a knowing. You know, you don't have to really necessarily act on it, but you know. But, so, yeah. what was it like growing up, though? Weird. <laughs> so weird. Um, my first memory is my third or fourth birthday. My parents are bringing out the entire Santa Monica Pier for my birthday. And the carousel, and my entire family showed up. My mom's friends. I think Anne Margaret showed up because my mom was there at the time. I think even Luther Vandross might have showed up because, like, she he was a friend of my mother's. And um, it was it was wild. It's like all these people I didn't know anything about. And there's video footage somewhere of like me and my cousins just running around, and like you can see a few people, but it's just it's nuts. Like I haven't seen it in years, but last time I saw it was a teenager, and I got to look at him and be like, oh, shit, I know all those people now. <laughs> I didn't care what I was for because I was like, I'm poor. Yeah, you didn't know um, those people were like somebody. They were like, oh, this is whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. I just thought most of my parents' friends were just really nice dressed people <laughs> who were just were popular amongst their friend group, you know? 
Shit. I was like, oh, cool. You know, I thought that just happened. Like, my father would play in front of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people. And I'd be backstage, and I was like, this is really cool. I just thought that's what you do. I didn't understand that, like, that's fame. I thought fame was something else or something. I don't know what I thought it was, but I thought this was normal. You know, because my dad never had a rock star approach to it. You know, I would go to him to rehearsals and stuff and see him do his thing, and we'd go to dinner or whatever. We'd run through the stuff in the hotel and go do it. And then, uh, you know, uh, he'd be like, how was it? Like, oh, you were great. And then we leave and go to the next thing and we go home. So when it dawned on you, it's like, wait a minute, there's something to miss here. It's like, okay, my other friend's parents don't do the same thing my parents do. When did that kind of dawn on you? Twelve. When I watched uh, VH on Behind the Music and like four of the people that I've grown up with were on there. And I was like, oh, shit. <clears throat> okay. Because there's levels of fame, but back then there there weren't really, so it was kind of hard. Like right now it's fucked up. Like if you fell into a fire pit and everyone saw it and went viral, that's fame, which is weird. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be famous for that. That's just like infamous. It's infamous. That's embarrassing. You didn't do anything. It's embarrassing. You don't have a talent. You're not famous. You're infamous. There's a difference. Like, somebody goes viral for either saying something really stupid or something ridiculous or them doing something to humiliate themselves. Like, back in the day, we yeah. called America's Funniest Home Videos, but... Exactly, that's what it was, and it stayed that way. Now, that's when the fuckers got famous. But now, idiots like that can get famous, and it's like, ugh. But yeah, it was, it was really funky growing up. Um, I carried... I have it somewhere. This is really sad and embarrassing. I don't know where it is, but my dad gave me one of Jimi Hendrix's guitar pedals, and I think it's either my front safe or um, one of my boxes. Like, I don't remember. Because for years I didn't know what it was. I just thought it was my dad's old Lala pedal. <laughs> kind of sounds... Really? Yeah. Super sad. I've been given so many cool things. But I was... well, here's the problem. They gave me this shit too young. You know, don't give a child something amazing, you know, but they're, they, my dad grew up like dirt poor. My mom did, my mom grew up like upper middle class, but I guess he just, he would just try to give me everything he couldn't. And it's just stuff. <laughs> and when you're a kid, all you care about is like food and dirt. That's all you care about. Yeah. It doesn't dawn until like you're 11, 12 or 13 with it. Like, Wait a minute. You don't really realize yeah. that, you know, like, okay, my parents were, you know, in the areas, like, you know, in the area there were DJs, right? My mom used to work at WKOS, my dad worked at WHUR, you know, and I kind of knew there's something kind of cool going on here, but I didn't know the extent to, like, it didn't dawn on me, right? So it's right. one of those kind of deals. So I, 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 get, I get it, though, like, you know, all my parents have stories with certain people, like, all right, I remember Luther Vandross when he was singing backup and everything, you know? Dude, for Bowie, yeah. Yeah, they remember him, and it's like they remember the evolution he had to go through, you know, when he became more famous. He had to kind of, like, he had to kind of chill out. He works on heavyweights, right? But one sticks out in my mind right now. What was it like working with, like, with Buddy Miles? Um, It's different about working with him because... Uh... He was always around. Um, it's more or less learning from him. So I learned how to play drums 
from a few different musicians. Uh, one was um, James Gatson, who played with the Gap Band and Bill Withers and tons of other people. And that was my father's, like, one of his right-hand men. And then, um, uh, what else, what else? Uh, fuck, Buddy had him sub. I can't remember his name. Fred, Fred Allen. Fred Allen played with the Buddy Miles band, I think, for, like, 10 years, something like that. But Fred, like, Uncle Fred was dope. He just he played hard, and he had it. And then Buddy did the same thing. So I grew up with, like, three drummers when I was very, very young. And um, one of the first tours I went on with Buddy, there was a young keyboard player named Derek... Ah, uh, oh, name. I forget his last name. Fuck, oh, this is really bad. But Derek, Derek knows me. But Derek eventually went on to Alice Cooper after that, and years later, Dream Theater. But he's one of the fucking hardest keyboard players in the fucking world. Like, he was in fucking Dream Theater first, before the main guy, the wizard guy. But he was, like, on that level. And he's still doing a thing. He has some band, I think Sons of Apollo. It's like a super group. Um, I think Bumblefoot's in it from Guns N' Roses and tons of other stuff. He will read but, Jimmy um, Hazel, right? Yeah. That's crazy shit, man. I remember Bumblefoot from Most Extreme Elimination Challenge or something like that. I remember him doing the music for that. There was an MTV show I saw. I think it was True Life or something like that. But I saw Bumblefoot and I saw What's Your Name from The Agonist, who, re who recently, or not recently, but later on went on to um, Arch Enemy. But she was the lead singer of The Agonist, and now she's the lead singer of Arch Enemy. Which is funny because like the lead singer of Arch Enemy went on to become the manager. So she manages the band while the other girl sings. But, um, yeah, I, I watched a lot of videos, and just I would just sit backstage and watch Buddy play until finally I was old enough. And I forget where in Texas, but it's a huge crowd, thousands of people. And Buddy's doing that thing where, you know, when, like, <clears throat> you're just kind of talking, like you're about to get off your set? He's just like, I was like, you know, I'll talk about love and family. And I'm planting the seeds and watering the seeds. And my dad's playing guitar and the bass player's like, dude, dude, just like hold it down. Like, <clears throat> he goes, I want to bring someone on stage with me, with me who uh, I love very, very much. And I'm very proud of his progress as a musician. Mr. Paul Roy Henderson and I fucking shat. I didn't shit, but it felt like yeah. my body just shat. <laughs> like the big, like, hit, like the big enemy's foot beating on the side of your head. I was like seven or eight, and just like, oh my god. <laughs> He's like, come awesome. on, come on, boy. My dad's like, come on, boy. I was like, oh, okay. And so I got up on stage, and I just kept it real simple. And then the more the crowd started egging me on, the crazier I got. And then they gave me a drum solo. Like, do it, do it. I was like, just do the best I can. And then I was like, that was that was the devil's nectar. That's what That was my gateway drug. Because when I did that, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this forever. <laughs> I didn't know you played drums really until you mentioned it. Like I knew you played drums, but I didn't know you played drums. It's funny because like I was only known for drums for a very long time growing up. 
Because I don't even know you play guitar. Because I knew you from one of the Facebook groups. I this Black Alternative Musician or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. And you were doing, like, the electronic stuff. You know, so I, mm-hmm. I think I was looking on your SoundCloud page. And I'm like, is him playing guitar? Because I just knew you as Paolo. Like, I didn't know about you being, I didn't know you being, you know, you know, you know, Marlo Henderson's. So I didn't know anything about that. Like, if I was kind of funny, like, my dad actually was trying to work for your uncle, actually, Andre Lewis. You know? Love Andre. Oh, my God. Dude, we were so close to releasing something, and he fucking died. Broke my heart, dude. Broke my fucking heart. Want to hear something really awkward? Mm. My dad was trying to re-release some of his stuff, some of his stuff, actually, on his label. That's fine. So it was kind of this weird thing where it's almost like, yeah, I think we kind of, in a weird way, know each other. You know? Because <laughs> I had no idea and everything, right? Because I didn't know anything about Because my, my dad knew Andre. He knew his brother, so we kind of knew Andre a little bit, too. So, so it's okay. like, you know, because I remember he moved to Nebraska and everything. So I remember uh-huh. that part. And it was funny, like, how... Like, my dad was trying to get in contact with him and stuff. And, yeah, he was really, he gave him, like, a $1,000 advance, you know. And he was trying to put out, like, some of the, um, what, what was that band that Andre Lewis, was, was it called Mandre? It was Mandre, and before that, Max Sand. I think it was Mandre and Max Sand. It was one of those, either way, it was the one who was covered Dirty Love. It was that one that he did. He was, That's Max Sand. That was, because Mandre was more, like, George Duke, ominous. Uh, prog rock funk like some lyrics mostly instrumental yeah my dad was sort of reissue that stuff you know and that's what happened unfortunately he passed and I was like because that's what we're really in the middle of the stuff and I know Andre's son one of his sons I know Sean I grew up with Sean and the Graves Brothers and and the Bruners which is Thundercat and all that but um I don't know what Sean's doing, but yeah, when his dad passed, I guess they had to split amongst the siblings, and um, I didn't know his, he had siblings. That's the thing about musicians, like, I'm an only child on my mom's side, but on my father's side, I'm like 10 or 11, and then same thing with uh, Sean's mother, or a lot of us, the Graves brothers kept it together, but the rest of them fucking musicians, man, there's plant seeds everywhere. <laughs> kind of screaming Jay Hawkins a little bit? Dude. But allegedly, I'm the golden child because I got all the talent. But I've noticed though, because I had no idea because, like, because it was kind of weird. But you downplayed that because that is new pal. This dude's cool as shit and everything. He's giving me advice actually about musical stuff. Like I never thought about it, you know, until you until it was mentioned later on. I was like, because I knew the name, but it was this weird thing where it's like the name sounds familiar. Then I went to Google, like, holy shit. I'm still finding out stuff about my dad. Like, people send me photos and, like, or other stuff. Like, one time, I guess my dad went to Jamaica for, like, six months and just recorded a bunch of shit and then dipped. Like, he didn't give a fuck about the business. Like, he did a little bit, but not the way you're supposed to. He just generally enjoyed uh, playing with other people because it felt like, he said it was like church to him, you know? And I get that because, like, when I go to jams, there's a jam on Tuesday nights at the Federal in North Hollywood that I go to sometimes. And even if I'm not up there playing, if I just see my friends playing, it's like church for me. It's like, I feel good, I go home, sleep well. Um, yeah, you didn't give a fuck about that stuff. Like, 
one of my favorite things about my dad is growing up, um, for like a few years, whenever I used the toilet, I noticed there was the Grammy back there. I don't know who it was for or what it was for. I know it was his. But after a while, I was like, hey, dad, like, what is, what is this for? Or why is it, why is it here? And he looked at me and he looked at it and he goes, it's where it belongs. That was it. Damn. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. So I was thinking about, like, speaking of projects, I was wondering, I remember you mentioning there was one project. It was almost like, damn near a meme, actually. It was called Trick Please. Um, could you tell me more, more about that? Like, could you elaborate on that? Oh, I love Trick Please so much. And it's the most, like, um, deprived and, uh, uh, what do you call it? It's what I'm looking for. It's the most neglected project I've ever done. So, Chick Please, first of all, the name came from 90s hip hop or like late 80s hip hop. Um, where guys just say, Chick Please. I just love, even though it's hella disrespectful, I mean, I just loved it because, like, I even as a high schooler would just tell my male or female friends, like, trick, please. It's just something I would do. And someone's like, are you coming to the show or the movie? I'd be like, trick, please. So people knew, like, that was serious. But um, the reason why the music happened is me and my brother were making tons of tracks. There's tons of tracks. Just not going out. Just making music. And we were submitting stuff for the game and some other rappers. And no one liked the shit. They like the really hood stuff, which is cool. But we were trying to, like, hybrid, like, put some music theory in there and try to, like, make it more, uh, um, just add, add some more flavor to it, you know? Like, like for example, I I love some trap, but some of that trap is bare. Like, I love what Diplo's done with trap, even though it's hella refined and commercial, just because, like, there's melodies in it. There's more just four-bar loops. Like, there's arrangement. But, um... We weren't able to transcend that. A lot of these guys, you know, it's really hard to explain to someone who's has been doing what they do for 30 years with no problems, and then here you are trying to reinvent the wheel in their eyes. So even though your music may help their career or, or change or add more to their fan base, they're like, well, I've been doing this, and this has been working. How are you? You don't know what you're doing. And it's true. Like, I don't know that if I make this track and you do it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit, you know. So we would just do, you know, I would have a hard drive just filled with, like, neglected or rejected songs. And then um, I had some downtime. Because um, before I left for Texas, I was doing some songs that ended up being chick please. And then when I was in Texas, um, about six months in, I moved into my new spot. And um, we were going to Rainy Street, like, every weekend just getting tore up. Rainy Street in Texas is the only place in America I've been to where you can be pissed, drunk, passed out on the streets, and cops won't stop you. But if you get in your car, that's it. As soon as you put the car ignition on, cops show up. They don't even let you drive off. They just fucking they wait in the parking lot. It's fucked up. But you can be you can be fucked up on the streets, throwing up your guts, and they're like, oh, that's fine, it's legal. Jeez. But um. Yeah, I, I fell asleep at a veterans bar in Rainy Street, just like woke up there. I was like, huh? It was like six in the morning. But um yeah, so I, I finished the rest of Trick Please 
in Texas because I had a bunch of time. I had a few events to do, but I had like four months of downtime and everything was paid off. So I was like, fuck it, let's try it. So I just started putting it out, all these reject ideas. And um, I, I added more distortion to them and just try to make them seem like just fucked up. I wanted to go like a Jay Dilla, Flying Lotus kind of feel. And then, you know, a lot of people dug it. It even got me the first shit, please, like got me work. Like people heard that shit. I didn't even know. Or I guess it's like some of you guys are passing around, but like, People were like, hey, I heard this from so-and-so, like, this shit's dope. And I started, like, getting work from putting it out. I'm glad I did. Uh, Trick Please 2 is a bit more refined. And people dug it, but not as much of a, like, huge response. Now, the OGs dug it. Like, a lot of the older cats dug what I was doing in Trick Please 2, which is fun. But Trick Please 1 is all literally just, like, if I don't have a multi-track of that song, I take the whole track and then add other stuff to it. So... If you notice in Trick Please 1, it's really audibly primitive because I didn't have to multi-track for all those. Because when someone says, I don't like this track, we kind of don't pay attention to it and let it do whatever. So it never got properly mixed or mixed down. So they're they're raw. They're really fucking raw, which I love about them. They're like the punk rock or hip-hop. But, um... What's a lot of what these guys are doing nowadays, I notice. Like, because... I kind of dig it. Me too, like, I kind of felt like, I kind of predicted this would happen, because earlier, like, in the 20, 2009s, 2010s, they were doing this, it sounded like rap's new wave or post-punk thing, right? So the logical right. conclusion was, it's going to go into the fucking grunge era, you know, yeah. which is going right now, you know? But, like, because I was thinking about, like, I remember that one song you did, um... You're playing guitar over uh, Boogie's Oh My Goodness, right? And I was like, it added something to it. Oh, I love that. I love that. I had to. I love Boogie, man. I found out about Boogie five or six years ago through someone. And I was like, oh, my God. And I was visiting my grandma for a few months um, over in Gardena. We have uh, Grape Sheet Cribs and Hoover's over there. But, um... Oh, it's one of the neighbors, because, like, my grandma has a bunch of old G gangsters around there. Like, they don't bang anymore, so they just sit on the porch. And so I was in town, and they're like, oh, what's up, young blood? I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? I was like, oh, what's up, man? Old Grape Sheep Crib. And he showed me on his phone, have you heard of Westside Buggy? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's my favorite dance. Like, no, no, there's an artist named Westside Buggy. And I was like, oh, shit. And he showed me, and then I was just, like, drawing. Like, his whole first two albums, I was like, dope, this is dope. Then he got picked up by Eminem's label, and that's why he's huge now. But, yeah, Oh My was, like, all shot maybe a quarter mile away from my grandma's house. Really? Like, I was like, I know where that is. Like, that's Compton, Gardena, El Segundo, fucking Athens. Like, it's Central A, like a motherfucker. But um, I heard Oh My, and I was like, this could be metal. This could be metal, so I did it. And I was using Easy Drummer. Okay, I'm noticing a lot of the acapella stems, right, are showing up for certain songs. I was wondering if you're going to, like, you know, maybe revisit something that you didn't have the multi-tracks to. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm always searching. I'm always searching for multi-tracks of songs that I grew up and enjoyed. Um... It gets hard, because 
I did a really great after Whitney Houston died. I did a remix of I Want to Dance with Somebody, and it didn't last long because of fucking copyright. But man, it was so fucking good. I remember that. I remember, and that was pretty fucking dope too. Yeah. I went church at the beginning. I made a real church. I wanted to. I wanted to make everyone feel like they were at her funeral for the first beginning of it, and then I went into a dance thing. But yeah, it was an organ and shit. It's it, it was gospel, and then I went into dance music real quick. But um, it sucks, and they just took it off, and I didn't have a copy of it, so that was that. But I might try to do it again because I know Nippy's people. My mom worked with Dan Warwick. I just got to call people and be like, hey, uh, I'm not trying to make any money off of it. I just want to put it out there. If you want to make it a money thing, we can. But I just appreciate her, so that's why I did it. That's noble. Me and my cousin are trying to get it together to do something in honor of my father. Because um, I have some of his multi-tracks. I have some of his multi-tracks for Off the Wall hmm? and um, multi-tracks for uh, uh, some of them from Earth and Fire. I got to talk to Verdine White to see if he knows any more about that. Because um, I don't know, every musician is different. Some musicians are very involved in the production process. So, like, they might have the multi-tracks. Others, maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. You know, but, like, I don't know. I don't know if they're, like, tech guys like that. But it would be cool to have, like, you know. Because right, I was thinking about, we talked about this a while back. Well, actually, not a while back. It was a couple of days ago. That's about most memorable, unusual gig. You told me there's one band that you're working with, right? I, I get to hear about it again. Other people's puppets. Oh, yes. So, my, me and my friend Benasia, or my friend Benasia at the time, I was leaving two bands. And we were at a Jack in the Box on Gaffey and 6th Street in San Pedro, California. I don't think it's there anymore. We were like 19 years old. And he was telling me about his band and what they're trying to do. And he ended with, in order to get to this point, I think we need to do some stuff differently. And he was like, do you want to join my band? And I was super excited. I was like, fuck yeah. Because I just, I loved him. I didn't even know him that well. But, like, he just showed me certain types of music. And his theory is amazing. He was, like, really impressive musically. So I was like, you're asking me to do stuff? I was like, cool. So we joined, or joined, and, um... One of the gigs I got the band was do CIA, uh, or this club CIA. I forgot exactly how, but um, I talked to the phone with this guy, uh, I think Jeremy the Human or something like that. But um, it's, an, it's a marionette and puppet show, but the band's in the back. And sometimes the lead singer comes out dressed as a puppet. Really creepy shit, really creepy shit. But those were up our alley because we were like shock rock, goth. We were like all of our like I I, I put it, like all of our choruses and verses were like Marilyn Manson meets like Cradle of Filth because we had some like heavier shit. Like once I joined, we got more metal because it was more romantic goth and more like uh, Victorian. But when I joined. It got like a little harder and a little scarier. And um, I was just a bass player, but I was helping Benicia write stuff and stuff like that. And our drummer was amazing. I was like, dude, do some blast beats, do some crazy shit. I was like, fucking, don't hold back, you know? Like, you're a really good drummer. And um, 
I don't know if they came to one of our shows or if we saw them a demo, but this guy came to the front door of where we were practicing. We were practicing at our lead singer and drummer's house, their, their parents' home. Um, both of them, uh, I guess Adam lived in the back house, and then uh, Jackson lived up front. And then they had an extra room. I guess there used to be a bedroom. They devoted to the rehearsal room. We crowded all our equipment there. But it was so much fun. Like, those are fun days, man. Honestly, like, we didn't have any money. We didn't know what we were doing. But we had each other. And um, I answered the door. Someone answered the door. And the guy with the weird, he had some weird plastic bag, like, mask on. And, like, a uh, Michael Myers, um, <clears throat> like, mechanic smock like jumpsuit on and he was just like hobbling and he and he did this and went <laughs> he made that noise and handed me an envelope and then dropped it and he ran off like <laughs> and I was just like I don't know what this is and then they're like what's the, what, what is what happened I was like I don't, I don't know but they gave us a check and so um, they gave us an envelope with the tickets and the money and then um, we played and we saw them play. It was fucking terrifying, but it was it was amazing. Um, this club is so weird that in the crowd there were like a man dressed as a baby greased up, a woman dressed up as Dorothy from Wizard of Oz, with the dog in the basket, and then some other weird combinations or whatever. Um, I couldn't even tell what some people were just because it was anything goes kind of vibe, but. While we were doing our last two songs, the crowd jumped on stage with us. And at some point, someone decided to throw confetti, a glitter, and KY jelly. And a majority of the KY and, and glitter got on the bottom of my base. And um, it took years to get off. <laughs> but it was so weird. That was like the weirdest gig. I don't know why. Um, that reminds me of like so much green jelly in that. And this one opera that Frank Savage tried to do. It's the same crew. Green Jelly or Green Jello. Yeah. Is it Green Jelly? I don't know. Because sometimes it's Green Jelly, sometimes it's Green Jello. You know the reason why, right? They had to change it, right? Oh. The reason why they turned to Green Jelly is because... Oh, because Green... Because Jello? They tried to sue their asses. Oh, are you serious? Yes, Jell-O? they tried to sue them. Uh-huh. I remember down this... Uh, all right. So they... There was a show called Anti-Gravity Room, right? And they actually had them on there, and they had the whole puppet thing and everything. They were actually working a comic book too, you know, which never came out, from my understanding. At least I was looking for that sucker yeah, too. It, but um, it might be out independently, but yeah. I was either. waiting for that thing too because I heard they had to do a Marvel or something like that. This is way back, maybe like '95, I think. But point being, though, um, I remember they were talking about that, and they said they turned turned to green jelly because. People don't jell is going to sue them for everything. He said, but we don't have anything, so. We don't have anything. Exactly. I used to work for Bob back in the day. He ran this club called Qtopia in Hollywood on Santa Monica. And there were only two rave clubs that were booming after hours and during regular hours. One was Qtopia, which Bob ran. And then one was the Orion Club in downtown L.A. And the Orion is historically known because, like, celebrities would show up there. And it wasn't a nice club. It was just in downtown L.A. You had to enter through the alley. There were rats and shit. It was all bad. Super legal. There's 14-year-olds to 50-year-olds there. 
Um, all the vendors were selling drugs illegally. Like, but it was so much fun. It was so much fun. I would just like, I would be like cuddling with some chick on ecstasy on a stairwell. <laughs> like, you could sit or lay anywhere. No one give a fuck. And like, we all took care of each other. Like, hey, you need water. I remember one time some guy needed some help because he hurt himself, and we helped take him to the hospital. Sounds um, very community. It was a cool community rave we're seeing. But um, Bob's, I somehow got to work for him at Utopia because I just they had the bombless parties, they had DJ Hump Division, they had DJ Irene. That should let you know how far back it was. Like, they were like huge back then. This is back when like Tiesto was the biggest DJ ever. Damn. And um, yeah. Donald Glaude, Carl Cox, they all showed up at Utopia. I think Tiesto did too. But um, I forgot how Doug got the job. But one night, he's like, hey, we have Donald Glaude coming in, so I need you to make sure the monitors are cool and make sure he gets water and drinks and shit and help him carry his crates and records. I'm like, damn. I did that. And me and Donald would talk here and there. And um, at some point... Donald asked me to come on stage when I'm backstage, and I had long dreads. I looked like him. And so I come up front, and he just points at me like, yeah. And I'm just like, okay. And I was like, yeah. And afterwards, I realized why he did it. I think he did it so I could be, like, in the in crowd, because, like, all of these girls were like, oh, so you're Donald's brother? And I'd be like, what? <laughs> so they kind of helped Loki put you over? Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm his brother. And so he invited me in his uh, limousine, and we just hung out. We just drove around. You know, he didn't really drink or anything. He was, just, he was really chill, but it was nuts. DJ was cool, too, man. We we uh, we got her on, and um, I made sure I helped her because she, like, I guess her homegirl had to go do something. So I made sure to held a parking space for them for, like, half an hour. People were honking at me, like, get the fuck out of shoes. Like, fuck you, no. It's for the DJ, we're doing this. But yeah, it was wild. It was fucking wild. I didn't even know who Bob was until Bob closed one of the events with his band. And I was like, oh my god, you're green jello. Because I'd never seen what he looks like. Or Bill, rather, not Bob, Bill. And then we became really good friends. Um, Bill threw me a birthday party at his house in Hollywood. By the way, I don't know if it's a Bill's house. You walk up to the front, there's a hearse. There's carousel toy parts. All the front weird Santa Claus shit. And you open the door, this motherfucker has arcade games from the 80s and 90s lying all over his living room. And there's a wall devoted to like 20 TVs that all play the same thing. And then his kitchen is nothing but is nothing but boxed and their original uh, box uh, figurines, like real expensive Star Wars. X-Men, just crazy shit, that's his whole bathroom. And then his staircase has, like, vines drawn on it. It's just, it's a giant adult kid's house. It's fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. Every time I went there, I got fucked up. <laughs> like, we knew when we were kids, like, if you didn't have any money, you want to get fucked up, go to Bill's house. Because somebody cool will be like, oh, yeah, come here, kid, I'll give you a little whatever. But I did ask at the house, like, twice. It's amazing. I'm not surprised for some weird reason. Just... He has every kind of he has stage lighting, he has Christmas lighting, he has every kind of lighting there. It's just it's just nuts. I remember this, one time I was passed out drunk, half, I have my pants half on on the couch, and his girlfriend wakes me up and gives me like corn pops. <laughs> just 
She's like, you look like you need something to eat. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Polite, too. Right? She was really cool. I was like, dope. That's what's up. Um, you heard about, you know, Stuart Baker or Unknown Henson, right? Just oh, going, so acting a damn fool on Facebook, right? Alright, it's kind of weird because one of my buds used to work with him over at Adult Swim, right? And he says, Stuart's the nicest guy you can meet. It totally goes into characters yeah. unknown Henson. And he oh, yeah. turns into an asshole. And I remember you said you, you either did a show or were you backing him up or you did a show with him, right? I opened for him at the Drop Dead Festival in 2004 or five in New York at CBGB's. The Knitting Factory. Nice. And it was the same that I got married. <laughs> okay, this took a more, this took an interesting turn. But yeah, I was we just got done backstage doing our thing, and then he was in the green room too, getting ready. And I was like, "Oh my god, dude, I'm a huge fan. I didn't know you were gonna on the bill because like they were adding people last minute as fuck, and like we had a problem with like my drums." didn't arrive on time and like I guess my snare drum was in Chicago or some shit like it just was weird shit got weird mm. but um and all the calamity I didn't know it was on the bill usually you don't you just kind of do your shit and look at it later mm-hmm. but uh, <clears throat> we hung out and we talked and he was like yeah I'm gonna start doing this TV show called Squidbillies I was like word and um this is back when MySpace was like starting so it was a while ago, but he was super cool. And I followed him for a while, and we talked back and forth, and it was super cool. Like, when he got endorsed by his guitar company, he told me about it, told him to check him out. But we hadn't talked in maybe 10 years. It was only through social media. I don't even, like, know him. But to see him talk to Dolly like that and to understand that he's not an ally at all was, like, so sad because, like, I really liked him as early. But... Obviously, he's not acting. That's just who he actually is. So, yeah, like, no inkling or clue at all that... He's not the first. I worked for a few people who I thought were cool who are not. Like, it sucks, man. Hey, feel free to mention names. I'll bleep them out later. I don't care. Fuck them. Let's do it. Um, I started working for Ricky Rebel. 2013, I think. Or 14, because I was working with this band, um, Contra, with, uh, so bad with names, it's all out of sight, out of mind thing, um, fuck, I'm gonna have to look it up. Because I remember, I remember you worked with Contra, I remember you told, told me about them. She's going to be so mad if she ever sees this. She's like, you don't have a fucking name? I'm like, no. <laughs> no disrespect. Cassie Davis. Hmm. So Cassie Davis, an, an Australian pop singer, and her husband, Snob Skrilla, an Australian rapper who had a few cents and um, still is burning amazing people. But um, my drummer... And that band was like, yo, if you want some extra gigs, I got this guy, Ricky Rebel, I play for. And he's a bass player. I was like, dope, let's do it. So me and Ricky became very close. We even hang out more than anyone afterwards. Like, we just, you know, I just dug him. I dug 
his strength and his determination and how much he had discipline and how he was like rebellious. He was like, no, I, I speak up when something's wrong. I was like, dude, that's super dope. <clears throat> you know, he's this really fit gay dude with blue hair who looks just like Trent Reznor. I'm like, this is dope. Um, yeah, he was always cool. We were very honest with each other, you know, like if I couldn't do something, I let him know like, hey, because he wasn't like a dick about things where it's like, um, you know, oh, I can't do this gig except do the things. So he realizes that like some of us musicians only do this and we don't have a nine to five. So like our time is very precious. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually I left or I guess he, uh, what do you call it? He was upset by one performance because I didn't have the right shoes on, which is fine. But, like, I literally was uh, burning the candle at both ends. I just told him, I was like, hey, man, I'm sorry I'm getting sloppy. There's a lot of shit going around in my life. And I'm working too much because I can't, you know, I can't afford anything else. So I have to work. And that's why I've been kind of lacking. And he's like, cool. We still remain friends after that. And then um, he was kind of going through stuff with his ex or his boyfriend, like, they're the shit was going on, he was leaving him, and I was like, no, I'm fine for that shit, like, he's a good guy, I like this boyfriend, and he's just, I don't have to deal with what I'm doing, and I gave him some ideas, like, hey, man, you need to be fucking playing every gay parade in the country, there's tons of them, if you do all of them, you'll never not have work, and so he talked with his manager, got him working out, I was like, super cool, this is dope, I was super, like, hyping him up, I repost whatever he's fucking doing, I, I tell other people, and then, 2014, happens and Trump wins and I see his page and I go holy shit (laughs) like I know this motherfucker he's never mentioned this once and it was upsetting it was very very upsetting to see that Um, I also noticed around that time okay before I left his band was a Brazilian guitar player, a Latina from Texas uh, violin player, me the bass player, and the drummer was a white dude. But it was a very colorful crowd. Yeah. By the time he did the Trump thing, it was mostly a white crowd. You had a Japanese keyboard player, not an Asian keyboard player, but did shit. And it was just like weird. And then he had a black dancer, but he originally got, eventually got rid of him too. It just got real lily, and I don't want to like speculate, but I'm just, it just was interesting. You know, with the Trump correlation, I was like, are you doing this on purpose? Also, even if he's not, most people of color don't want to fuck with someone who's a Trump supporter, so I'm thinking that might happen too. Yeah. But um, the worst thing he did after seeing his post was he showed up to the Grammys or something uh, with like a Trump outfit that he had made. And with this other woman... Um, I forget her name, but she's a black woman who wore the Trump dress. Uh, June or something. That was him? He's friends with her. I noticed in California that um, black people are a little bit more militant. And you think it's through trauma or history or what do you think? You know, Have you noticed that too or what? We know our shit more and I don't know why and it bothers me. Because I'll, I'll be in some of these like, you know, black uh, music groups or whatever. And like there's a lot of black people who just don't know shit about 
like like current history, not like you know 100 years ago, just basic stuff. Um, I don't know why we know more for some reason, and it's not everyone's like when I talk to Chicago black people, they know their shit. Yeah. Same thing here in D.C. Because my mom, when the riots were going on when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, she was there when D.C. was on fire. You know? She was there, you know? I forgot about the, the backlash. Yeah, she was there. Because they don't talk about that. They don't talk about how people, like, ride in the streets when they got, he got shot. They say, he got shot and it was quiet. Like, she was wild, you know? Style. And, you know, she was crazy then. You know, but, you know, I kind of noticed that, too, where it's like, here's the thing about it. When I was coming up, history was never lost on me. You know, my mom would talk about, you know, she was there. She saw the whites only signs there. You know, she saw the for color only entrances. She was there. She saw that shit. You know, my dad, not so much. Hell, I remember like, my dad actually, when he got pulled over by a cop at one o'clock in the morning and the cop basically stalked his ass because this cop thought he was talking to a white woman, but actually it was a high yellow sister. <laughs> I could use that authentic American language for this, you know, but this cop was basically stalking my dad for like hours for maybe like 14 hours that's what happens you know let's think about other bands you work with I remember you mentioned you work with Onyx right yeah what was that like you know like did it so they had like a full band you're saying um yeah it was it was a drummer me and guitar and then um this uh, Sticky and Fredro Star. Hmm. It was interesting because I've never done a tour like that. And um, it was a lot of nevers. <laughs> you know, my father even said, because he met them, he came over to meet them. He's like, yo, take care of my boy. And I'm like, right on, right on. And then he was like, he whispered in my ear, like, these are real niggas. <laughs> Like, be careful what you say and do. Yeah. I don't have to fucking send somebody out there, okay? And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I guess. And it felt a little bit, like, funny because they would say this stuff like, oh, okay, like, you play guitar, so, like, you, like, worse the devil or something? They would just say weird shit like that, like, joking around, but, like, kind of serious because, like, there's this weird thing, like, black people who don't do rock or metal, like, they just assume if you do that, you're doing that. Which is some really old, like... Stereotypes. We're talking like sixties. If you play rock and roll, you're in the outlaws. Did they ever do the surfer voice to you? I fucking hate that. They're like, hey, so like, like you're like, dude, man. Nobody's done that shit since the fucking eighties. I hate that shit. Oh no, it's here still. It's here in California. It's never stopped. Over on the East Coast, or some for some reason, I was like, yeah, of course on the East, of course on the West Coast, but I'm from Maryland, all right? Because we invented it. Yeah. Like for some reason, the whole surfer, the surfer thing is a California thing. I don't know why other people think it's another state. Yeah, no, the California surfer is the California surfer. Yeah, like everyone sounded like Keanu Reeves in the '80s and '90s, and you're like now there's a few here and there. If I get too drunk, I'll start talking like this a little bit because I can't help it because it's just like it's hot or raised. But yeah, it's upsetting. It's kind of weird because people think I have like your accent. Like, I don't know why it just comes out this way. Like, nobody believes I'm from Maryland. I'm like, born and raised here, though, bro. Really? It just fucking comes out this way. You know, until I got to L.A., I was like, that's some country as fuck out here. But if you don't know, then you don't know. Yeah, yeah. So it's just really weird. It's really weird. 
you know, but like that, or like you ever get the stupid questions about like, so how'd you get into rock? I was like, I don't know how'd you get into rap, motherfucker. You just fucking do. Mm-hmm. I hate that, you know. I love when people ask me like, how do you get into rock? And I just go like, like an asshole. I just go, I was born into it. <laughs> you know what? That's literally my case too. Because all right, here's the deal. Back when my mom was at WPGC before working like the urban station, right? They used to play Top 40, right? And I was, she was carrying me, and guess what they were playing? They were playing fucking Bob Seger. Bob fucking They are playing Seger. Night Moves. I still love that song to this day. You know, like, I first heard that song. I didn't know the lyrics, but I just felt like I knew that song. I didn't know why, but then it made sense. Because she, that's like my mom would say, like, when I was carrying you, they played that song a lot. It's in my fucking blood, you know? Shit. Oh, yeah. So, it's just one of those kind of deals and everything, you know? So, alright, so I can... But it makes sense for Onyx to go in a rock direction because, okay, Biohazard, Slam. Right. It made fucking sense. Because to me, a lot of those New York rap groups, they were kind of doing the New York hardcore thing, except they didn't have a band behind them. Like, I was, exactly. I always felt like... DMX would have been a great fill-in for the guys in Biohazard. It would have been perfect. He yeah. looked like... It's a, I'm sorry. It's like... I don't know. I could have seen him based... Slam! Exactly. You know, it just made sense. You know? Like, there's certain artists that deserve like a full band. You know? Like, okay. The newest one I really dig is Denzel Curry. Because he reminds me a lot of... Because when I saw him like doing a cover of Bulls on Parade, I was like... I wasn't impressed. I thought it was cool. But I wasn't like... Ooh! Like, but, you know... The thing is this, um, every generation gets a little bit chiller and a little bit... You notice um, that too? We just, you just get watered down. And um, I think the reason why this correlates with like rock music kind of being better is because there's no, there's no stripes like there were. Um, if you grew up in the 90s as a teenager, you could fuck up shit out here. You fucking, like... You jumped on things, you set fires, like, it was crazy out here. I remember seeing uh, System of Down play L.A. and the ride happened, and I took part in that shit. I did some crazy shit. And that's just what you did, you know? But, like, kids are, are a little more careful, which is good, but, like, it's hard to give something heart when you haven't experienced it. You know, like, I never want to hear John Mayer do a Slayer song. It's just not going to work. I don't like John Mayer doing blues. He's not troubled. But he's kind of good at it. It's weird. He's great. It's just weird. I know, right? At least he's not Elvising it. He can't be Elvis about it, so that's nice. Remember that one clip with, um, it was on the Rock Roll Hall of Fame. It was John Mayer and Gary Clark Jr. No, I didn't know they coexisted in this situation. There was a clip when they were doing a tribute to Stevie Ray Vaughan, right? And it was, but it, it made a lot of sense. Like, Okay, from a John Mary is very skilled, right? But his guitar playing very it skilled. explained too much. When Gary Clark Jr. plays, it sounds like he's saying, "Man, shit's all fucked up." When John Mayer explains, he gives right. too much of a paragraph and explains too much in his playing. You know, right. I mean, it sounds great though, but you explain too much. Sometimes you gotta say, "Man, shit's all fucked up, nigga." That's all you gotta say. Yeah. Yeah. So. Very simple sometimes. Yeah. Oh, can I, can I do some shameless plugs? Of course, because I wanted to know about your gear setup too, actually. Okay, so I always use the CT amps. Oh, snap. 
Um, so, ZTMs is a company out of California. They weren't originally, I think they were Chinese. Hmm. But um, my father, being who he is, found them uh, about two or three years before he died. He talked to me because he, he would just give, he would just load me with information whenever I come over and visit him. Just too much. Like, boom, boom. He he's the one who told me about Skrillex and dubstep. Really? Like he knew the shit before I did. It's crazy like that. Hmm. But um, he was telling me about his name. I was like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, cool, cool. And then he finally got it a week or two later. He's like, this is the app they brought me. And I was like, that's a lunchbox. He's like, that's what it's called, a lunchbox. And I was like, okay. Literally the size of a lunchbox. And so I was like, whatever. But then he started playing through it. And I'm like, oh, okay, what is that at? He's like, this is just level one. I was like, oh, you did level all the way? And played it. And I was like, fuck, dude, like... Wow, <laughs> like this shit is loud. So um, I was in the process of moving and doing some other shit, and uh, I wasn't at the point yet to talk to them. We we would talk here and there when my dad was living, and then um, the now after he died, or the year that he was gone. So this is this was the first now for me, and. 20-something years that my father was in there. Because even if we didn't live together, we could, we go to NAMM together. He'd call me in the parking lot, where are you? And we walk into NAMM. This is what we did since I was like four. Mm. And this was the first year without him. And man, that was weird. Like, everyone at NAMM knew who I was and would stop talking and just shake my hand. It was the weirdest fucking thing. I just walked into NAMM and people were like, oh, I heard about your father. Oh, my God, I heard about your father. I was like, oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, he passed away. And it was just so weird. But, like, the guys from DC, they talked with me, and, you know, they send their condolences. And they're like, well, why do you want to be a part? I was like, well, I'm looking for another company. And I just like the fact that um, I can carry your amp on my fucking backpack, but it sounds like a twin Marshall reverb or a twin Fender, yeah, twin Fender reverb, hmm. you know. It's one-fourth the size, but sounds like that. You know, so it's like, it's fucking insane. I now have the uh, ZT cab. Um, oh, funny thing about that. So the day I'm supposed to have a big meeting with ZT after that now, I go to my homie's spot or my, my homie's hotel, hang out. And then I had a hotel room um, at this place in Orange County. <clears throat> and so... I'm tired as fuck. I've had a little bit to drink. I'm downstairs in the lobby taking a crap before I go upstairs to my room. And I guess that took a little too long, and, I, and the cops come in and said, we heard there was loitering here. And I thought to myself, they're not talking to me. And then other part's like, they're talking to me in there. Because this has never happened before, but I was just like, I guess they aren't. So they're like, what are you doing? I was like trying to force them, and then the fucking bathroom was like, whoa, whoa, can I, can I wipe my ass first? Like, what, what's happening? We were reported loitering. I was like, okay, I'm using the bathroom. Can you give me a minute? And they were nice for a minute. I wet my ass, pulled my pants up. I'm like, what's the issue? Guns are already out. This is Orange County. And I was like, what's the issue? And like, we reported loitering. And I was like, well, I have a card key. I'm an artist. I have my NAM badge on. Showed them everything. Didn't mean shit. They slammed me on the ground. I hit my jaw on the ground. And they dragged me out in front of everybody. It was really embarrassing. And then um, 
I got out of jail the next morning. They stole all the money out of my um, out of my wallet, the Orange County Police, Anaheim Police. And when I tried to talk to someone, they're like, do you want to stay in here longer? And just like kind of bullied me. And so I had to walk all the way to Nam, which is three miles, in my cowboy boots, which is not. Cowboy boots are not for range, by the way. You'd think they would be. They are not. They're for like quarter mile. They're men's heels. <laughs> I can't walk in those for long. They're but, for riding um, horses. I get there. I get back in time, and then, because I've missed my meeting with ZT, so I meet the guy, Mike, and he's like, dude, what the hell? Like, you ever shut up? And I go, hey, man, I know this is the first time of this meeting, but I was in jail, and I was racially profiled. And he could see that, like, I was embarrassed. He could see the embarrassment in my eyes. He's like, all right, dude, fuck that. Let's just, we're here. You're here now. And it was just really cool, because I was expecting, like, Oh, you're just making up an excuse, or blah blah blah. But the other gentleman, like, no, like, you know, they could see it was it was sincere. Like, I don't say shit like that unless it's real. Like, I barely complain if I'm in a lot of pain. I just that's just how I am. Mm-hmm. But um, and I almost didn't go. I almost went home. I was, my friend's like, no, fucking, put your big boy panties on and fucking go get your endorsement, dude. Stop, you know, because I just wanted to hide. I was so scared, you know, like. You could tell that these cops were good old boys, you know. And even the same way, something did. Now we know where you you live. And I was just like, why the fuck would cops say this? Like, this is California. But um, yeah, it terrified me. But my friend's like, no, fuck them. Do what you came here to do. And uh, we worked it out. We did my first amp, and we've been working ever since. Um, the the music, the the artist representative for ZT, Michael, is amazing. And um, I called him and emailed him so many crazy things. <laughs> and he rose with it. You know, we, we, we share pictures about each other's family. We talk about each other's family. I know about his daughter and shit. Like, we're friends, mm-hmm. you know. And he doesn't have to be, you know. I, I like the fact that he's not like, I'll just be nice to this guy because he's with our company. Like, he, we generally, like, hit each other up. Like, when this fucking... COVID shit and Black Lives Matter thing went down. I called him because I heard New York was getting crazy. I was like, hey, you you guys cool? Like, he's like, yeah, we're cool. Like, thanks for asking. Because I was like, concerned, you know? Because it was scary, man. This is this is the first time in a long time where everyone's up for grabs. Like, I've never seen everyone scared. Usually it's white people scared because they did something foul to black people. But everyone is scared here. <laughs> like, brown doesn't matter. Different shades of brown, red, whatever. Cause like everyone's fighting everyone. Like there's there's go back to Arab country things tagged on people's like houses and and fuck white people and or fuck black people, fuck Mexicans. Like everyone's a target right now in California. It's weird. Mm. No one knows who to trust. You know, it's not that everywhere, but like a lot of people I've talked to are like, yeah, like you know, or you got like the Jew thing going on with the Persians and like that shit's fucking. I have no dog in a fight. I don't understand the whole Pakistani and Jew thing. I have no idea. But it's, it sucks. It fucking sucks. Because everyone just wants the right to, to exist. That's all that everybody wants. But it's become this awful thing. But, um, yeah. I've been with ZT for four years now, I think. But um, I love them because they'll tell me what to put up. They'll be like, hey, this needs to be more of this or 
you know, they're the ones who helped me with lighting because, like, I didn't think about that. You know, I'm a pure, like, artist, like, let's play some music. But, like, no, it has to look a certain way. you got to wear certain things. you got to learn your angles. And, like, you know, then with a few other people I work with have been very helpful with that. My friend Jamila has been very helpful with that as well. Shout out to Jamila. But, um, yeah, they've been really, really fucking cool. Um, I used to, every time I do anything, I do shout-outs for them because they've been really... Helpful, like, even just on a, on a human side. Like me and Mike have had just like non, um, non uh, business conversations, you know. And it's really cool because it's like, um, even though it's weird, like even though my father's gone, you still, and I'm an adult, you still want that older brother, older person advice. Hey, it's holy shit. It's so weird. I thought I went, oh, well, he's dead. I guess I just got to roll. But you still, you still want it. You're like, shit, I need someone to tell me. I don't know what I'm doing. Shit, you're always going to need that kind of mentorship, actually. And, like, hell, it's like, a lot yeah. of my buds are, like, five, ten years older than me, actually. So, it makes sense. Like, I was like, hey, what are your thoughts on this right here? Or, like, hey, this is a good idea or not, you know? Eh. You're like the lost member of Fishbone. All right? Yeah. <laughs> what was your tenure in Fishbone? Like, what were the guys like? Um, I enjoyed. Oh, so I gotta go through this thing real quick. I enjoyed my time <clears throat> because they were um my heroes, and <clears throat> it's a trip to have the privilege to know your heroes or to play alongside them and um, it was just true because like I knew my dad this this jazz funk blues guy like you know classically trained kind of guy and um, it's a different it's a different thing it's a different feel like I'm sure he had his own version of like what it means to be punk rock or whatnot, but um, these guys were the real deal. They weren't scared of shit. They weren't afraid of anything. Like it was a fucking business. What is this thing for? But um, yeah, I, just, I felt like super cool. I felt like a cool ass dude. Like I don't know. I just I just felt like I felt like we were in a gang. Like, we were, just, we were just tough. Like, we didn't do anything, but, like, if I was like, oh, yeah, I'm hanging back with Angela, I was like, oh, shit, you're cool. It just felt cool, because I was, like, 18 or 19, and I had never been cool to other people. I'd been cool at high school or cool to my friends, but I'd never been cool amongst other adults, and because I was this young-ass kid who looked like he was grown because I was, like, six foot whatever, um, I became cool. Six four. I'm not the tallest in the family. <laughs> There's bigger. I'd never, I'd never been popular. I'd never been a hot camaraderie. I'd never been like cool to strangers, and like I didn't know what that felt like. So it was weird. It was cool and weird because it was like I've always had a great vocabulary in music, but no one gave a fuck because I was a kid. But finally, people were listening to me because of what they thought of me. And I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, like Angelo or whoever would be like, hey, kid, what do you think about this? And I was like. Oh, no one has ever asked me what I think about anything. This is amazing. 
You know, because like, shut up, kid. Because most of the time it was shut up, kid. Because I didn't know what I was talking about. But I had gained enough musical knowledge to have something of substance to shoot back at them. So it was really cool, you know. And I was really respectful. I never stepped on anyone's toes. I just, like, asked a lot of questions. And I would often apologize because I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. I just wasn't sure. Can you clarify this or whatever? And they would just, like, giggle and laugh because, like, they're just like, this is so cute. Like, he really cares, you know. For them, it's just like, oh, I got out of bed. Let's do some cool shit. Like, but yeah, you're cool. I'm not cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not fucking cool yet. You know, but it was just like, I took a very schooled approach because I, I just got out of high school. <laughs> so I just acted like I was in school. I was like, okay, what is this okay? All right, thank you. But, um, well, there's one show that I begged. Norwood got me really fucking stoned. And my weed tolerance at 35 is still fucking poor. Like, I'm getting stoned now. I only had a little bit of weed in there, like, fuck. But, um, he got me so fucking high, I got scared. Sounds <laughs> like some good shit, from my understanding, actually. Do you understand what it's like to be scared of nothing? Like, not like you heard a sound or your mortality, just you're scared in general. Like, that's a weird feeling. Palos, great fucking talking to you. You know, you're an awesome guest and a great friend of mine. Hope to talk to you again soon. Sure. You know, peace. Appreciate you. Thanks again, Palavoy Henderson, for chatting with us. You can check out Palavoy Henderson's music on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Facebook. Peace.